Ladies and gentlemen, I wanted to introduce a new sponsor to the podcast. Hillsdale College has been a longtime sponsor of the broadcast. And for the new year, they've graciously agreed to exclusively sponsor the first hour or segment of the podcast. I believe deeply in the principles and mission of Hillsdale College, which I share with you during the upcoming segment. My thanks and appreciation to Hillsdale College for their long partnership with the show. And now, the podcast. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. We're going to have plenty of theatrics. Mr. Attorney General, we're not joking here. And your humor is not acceptable. Now, you are here because we have a constitutional duty to ask questions. And the Congress has the right to establish government rules. The rules are that you are here. So I need to ask the question and I need to have my time restored so that you can behave appropriately. I will behave appropriately as a member of the Judiciary Committee. Bring your popcorn. I'm thinking about maybe we just set up a popcorn machine in the back because that's what this is becoming. It's becoming a show. (laughs) All right. In the event uh, that you did not work into your very busy day, what happened with acting attorney general Matthew Whitaker at the House Judiciary uh, hearing today? Well, you kind of got about the extent of the intellectualizing that took place there. Uh, Doug Collins, by the way, on the comedic relief. I actually had back in 2010, you had... Uh, Ocho Cinco, Chad Johnson, Ocho Cinco, and, and T.O. get together. And you had a, a DJ Porter that got together a remix, and it was Get Your Popcorn Ready. I've had that in my head all day uh, it, because of, of Doug Collins. Uh, so uh, aptly depicting the, the sideshow that took place. And, and uh, bless her heart, bless her heart, you might say, about Sheila Jackson Lee and her trying to figure out. Uh, and y- your job is to be here, and, and you are here, and, and I will behave. And we will behave, and I'll figure out what I'm actually – if you've ever watched the difference between House committees and Senate committees, I'll be generous in saying that often you will notice a difference in the level of, let's call it, professionalism. So often these House hearings will be a little bit of a sideshow. But you got an added dose of entertainment today because, well, you had the ultimate short-timer in there. It's kind of great. You got a sense from Matthew Whitaker that he said, all right, you want me to do this? You're here to get a, a pound of flesh on me, on Trump, whatever. I'll dance. I'll dance. But he knows he's gone uh, in a matter of a week or two. So, yeah, let's do this. Let's have some fun. And he did. And uh, I'll fill you in on what really happened during the course of that hearing, uh, along with all the other nonsense of the day. And part of the reason why you're hearing so much about the Green New Deal uh, and uh, the Fairfax situation out of Virginia as that moral situation continues to spiral into the depths of whatever it has spun into. Ultimately, because there really wasn't anything of great consequence that came out of the hearing today. And, uh, hey, it is your South Florida friend, Brian Mudd, here. Uh, I host the Morning Rush, WJNO, in West Palm Beach. The Brian Mudd Show, WIOD, in Miami. And uh, I am a guest contributor to Fox News Channel. In fact, you'll be able to catch me in the 1 o'clock hour this Sunday 
And uh, do various different uh, sundry tasks around here. Been known to wash windows, janitorial tasks, whatever, you know, somebody asked me to do. Uh, and it's always an honor and a pleasure to be here filling in for the great one, Mark Levin. Now, you'll hear me say things like there are two sides to stories and one side to facts. And uh, I'll talk about things like the sliding scale of morality. And the sliding scale of morality is something we're going to get into with this situation in Virginia. And the real scandal that's being covered up here, which doesn't have anything to do with blackface, and uh, sad as this situation might end up being, whatever is happening with the alleged sexual assaults with the uh, lieutenant governor in, in Virginia. But back to the attorney general first. The And I'm not talking about the attorney general in Virginia that has his own blackface problems. Matthew Whitaker, you can read between the lines in today's hearing and learn a lot. Basically... In so many words, he said, look, you guys are here to try to make a fool out of me. I'm on my way out of here. Ain't going to happen. You want to get something on Trump? I'm not going to give you anything that's executive privilege. You can go pound sand and fly a kite. I am eminently qualified. I'm probably smarter than everyone else in this room. And your time is up. Which was an amazing moment, amazing moment when he actually uh, pointed out to the chairman that his time was up <laughs> and, and the, uh, the, the whole chamber ended up kind of losing its lunch on that deal. But the other thing he did say that was somewhat consequential, if you read between the lines, he said, yeah, I haven't done anything on the Mueller investigation. And, you know, damn well, I would if uh, ultimately I had the opportunity to do so, but I'm not touching it. So, no, nothing on Mueller. He's done whatever the heck he's wanted to. No clue. And, yes, if you read between the lines of what I'm saying here, Rod Rosenstein and Bruce Orr, guilty as hell. So, as soon as we get Barr in here and he's able to do his job, yeah, we're going to have justice in the Justice Department once again. Now, that's my takeaway, reading between the lines in some of the testimony and what took place there today. And I'll remind you that in terms of that big takeaway, we still do have two co-conspirators that signed off on the FISA warrant request withholding information using a bogus dossier bought and paid for by the Democrats and Hillary Clinton's campaign involved with Bruce Orr's wife at the Department of Justice. We still have two of them that are acting in the Department of Justice. They are Rod Rosenstein. They are Bruce Orr. And... Matthew Whitaker did end up providing some degree of room for you to interpret some of what he was saying when he was talking about them. That is the closest thing to substance we had. And maybe I am naive. Maybe I'm an optimist. I often will fashion myself as a realist that errs on the side of optimism. And in so doing, I actually still believe that we're a country of laws. And I actually do believe that somewhere along the way there will be justice. So in other words, as long as this thing has played out, and we have seen going all the way back to Uranium One, going all the way through the, the Comey show and the botched investigation, the fixed investigation of Hillary Clinton and her camp, the corruption that took place under the Obama Justice Department, the conspirators, including Comey and Rosenstein and Orr and others, that ultimately we will have some degree of accountability. No clue what that looks like. But I kind of had confidence, and it's probably part of the reason that Democrats are so scared of Bill Barr, which is a whole other ball of wax. Because something that kind of went by without any attention in the news yesterday, 
Bill Barr was passed out of committee uh, to go to the full Senate, where he will be confirmed as the next Attorney General of the United States. But what's interesting, if you really want to know how much more divided politics are today versus, what was that, 27, 8 years ago, when he was confirmed the first time under George Herbert Walker Bush to be the Attorney General of the United States, he ended up clearing the committee on a unanimous vote. On a unanimous vote. He ended up clearing on a voice vote before the full Senate. Bill Barr did the first time around. So that he passed through the committee on a party-line vote. Now, one Democrat in that uh, Senate Judiciary Committee that was willing to vote for him shows you how far left they really have gone. And I've talked about, really, the, the goalposts and how far they've been moved. All you need to know is take a look at Nancy Pelosi. She's been on the scene a a long time. She's pretty much who she is uh, now that she was 20 years ago, right? 25 years ago. But back then, she was the example of of the cuckoo left wing. Well, now you have to look. the, The mainstream Democratic Party, you have to look to the right to find Nancy Pelosi. So that gives you an idea about how far left things have really moved. And, yes, you have AOC the dancing queen, who is getting the majority of the oxygen in the room. And it is fascinating watching Nancy Pelosi and company give her so much room to introduce things that aren't even worth trying to discuss on an intellectual level, like the Green New Deal. It's almost like, you know, she's a caricature of an actual congresswoman, this Green New Deal in Merkley out there in Oregon. We'll touch on this a little bit later. But, That she's being given that much flexibility also shows you just how much power that far of the left wing within the Democrats actually has in the party now. But if you're sitting there going in, it freaks you out every day. I want to give you something that shouldn't freak you out about it. The State of the Union. You you took a look at the address itself and it always annoys me to hear all these talking heads that give their opinions like debates oh you know this person won the debate and that person that's all a bunch of bull crap the only thing that matters is your opinion who do you think won a debate in the case of state of the union address what did you think not the, the talking heads and what we saw is that even in the cnn and the cbs polling 76 percent of americans viewed that state of the union address favorably Nothing substantively changed. We didn't get an emergency declaration. President hasn't used any executive authority that night or since then. But I want you to think about something for a moment. You would think that Acacia Cortez is every single freshman Democrat, right? Because that's the only one they ever talk about. Okay. That's not how the Democrats took control of the House. 2016, not only is Donald Trump elected president, but Republicans obviously retain control of the House of Representatives. You have dozens of Democrats that are freshmen in the House of Representatives that won in districts that Donald Trump won. And you know in 2016, those people in those toss-up districts were voting on the wall. Now, If you're one of those Democrats in one of these close districts that you just flipped last year when Donald Trump was not on the ballot, 
you know next year he's going to be. You see that 76% of the people that view the State of the Union viewed it favorably. What does that mean in your toss-up district next year with that kind of presidential turnout coming around again? Now, in that context, they have no power, obviously, with Nancy Pelosi. Ocasio-Cortez does. Okay. But what they do have the power to do is vote in their own interest. Who do you think they want to vote with at the end of the day? Nancy Pelosi, not one dollar towards the wall. Or would it be in their own political interest, let alone actually, I don't know, doing something crazy like representing their constituents rather than the Democrats politically? What do you think they're going to be more inclined to do? The single biggest thing that happened Tuesday night in that say the union speech and the way that it was received was the shot through those Democrat freshmen in those districts that flipped from Republican to Democrat last year. And there's going to be an awful lot of soul searching. And if we do end up getting some type of compromise that includes border funding, that was how it was won. Stay tuned. We're just getting warmed up. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one. Mudd Lovin. I want to thank our sponsor, Hillsdale College, for all they do to try and maintain the greatness of America. You know, most colleges have enough trouble maintaining the greatness on their own campuses, and they have declined, and they have fallen into cultural rot, not Hillsdale College. It's a special place, and now they reach out to all citizens of the country to spread the word of liberty, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, capitalism, all the great things that make America what she is today. And now that Congress is under new leadership, it already seems to be on a mission to thwart our liberty, doesn't it? Yours and mine. But too many representatives don't know how to preserve liberty, and too many of them don't care. We call them progressives. But I'm not interested in the progressives. I'm interested in you, we the people. It's up to we the people to retain what we have earned and to retain what we have received from our founding fathers. And our founding fathers counted on we the people to hold our government in check. And being able to do that means understanding the proper role of Congress. That's why for a limited time, my good friends at Hillsdale have brought their powerful online course on the history and proper role of Congress back, absolutely free, to equip all of us to know what we should expect of our Congress. Hillsdale is on a mission to restore liberty like the rest of us. And you can take their excellent online course for free for a limited time. Sign up today for this critical course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Learn how Congress used to work and why it doesn't anymore. Learn about liberty, the Declaration, the Constitution. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. Have you ever been asked to approve any request or action to be taken by the special counsel? Mr. Chairman, uh, I see that your five minutes is up, and so uh, I'm, we, 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 I am here, I'm here voluntarily. I, we have agreed to five-minute rounds. And... Oh, what a classic moment. <laughs> that was uh, acting attorney general short-timer Matthew Whitaker informing the chairman, New York's own Gerald Nadler, that, uh, hey, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I... Out of time. I mean, look, we had these rules, and uh, you, you, you're done here. Uh, but thank you. Th- thanks for coming. To- <laughs> it was, 
Amazing. Of course, you heard the response in the room. And, and then, I mean, the, the, the news media went, went mad at it. I mean, oh, my God, how dare you do it? So disrespectful. And, uh, it, but, again, it was a beautiful moment. It, the best thing that came out of that hearing today was Matthew Whitaker being the short timer, calling it like he saw it, saying what he could while holding back what he couldn't, and just not taking any crap. I mean, it was just kind of... Yeah, you want to dance? Let's dance. Let's go. Yep. Uh, no, you, you're out of time. Yeah, you can, can you even formulate a question? I'm not sure. It looks like you're trying to gather your thoughts. Give you a second to get your breath together. Uh, yeah, but you don't have. I mean, it was that was what we had today. Now I, I wrapped up the uh, the first segment talking about the potential for compromise. I have no idea what's going to happen. We we have, you know, the uh, bipartisan group meeting trying to work out something to see if we're going to avoid uh, avoid partial government shutdown part two uh, a week from today. Uh, varying different accounts. Some some folks say, yeah, there really is something for, you know, physical border funding in this. Some don't. Some say it's terrible. But the single biggest thing, again, that, that came out of that State of the Union address and nobody's talking about, you have dozens of Democrats that are freshmen, media does not pay any attention to, that are in districts that Donald Trump won. And with the way that message was received, as positively as it was received, and knowing that Trump is going to be on the ballot again in 2020, the way they vote might not show up until they actually get a chance. Because, again, they're not getting the oxygen in the room. But as for the actual State of the Union... Again, two sides, two stories, one side of facts. There are various different immovable objects here. And the facts are, things are pretty good, and people get it. Our economic growth, the best since 2005. Our personal income growth is the best since 1987. Over the past many months, we've had unemployment rates for the following groups that have hit all-time lows, including Asians, Blacks, Hispanics, Native Americans, and women. The quality of life is actually the best on record for millennial adults. This is an undertold story. We heard for years during the Obama administration that, hey, part of the reason why the socialism thing is gaining traction, because you can't get ahead anymore. Capitalism doesn't work. Well, no, it's just that when you don't practice capitalism, it's not going to work. Uh, and, and so once we got back to something akin to capitalism, it started to work again. Not only that, but we broke out big time. And in fact, the average millennial adult is earning 20% more than their parents were at the same age when you adjust for inflation. Divorce rate at a 42-year low. Something else that most folks don't know. But it makes sense, right? Number one cause of divorce is what? Money. So if your finances are in good shape, then your marriage is probably going to be in better shape. And why do I mention all of that? Because ultimately, there is still a, a disconnect between Obviously, your news media, which drives a lot of the, the angst and the conversation today in the real world. Again, in the real world, that back in 2016 led to more elected Republicans top to bottom the United States of America than at any time since 1928. So what you see, what you hear day in and day out in the actual reality on the ground, be it with these Democrat freshmen in Congress or with the average person just out there living their life, quite a bit different. Things are pretty good. We'll be right back with a lot more good stuff and facts. Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. 
Now, ladies and gentlemen, it appears that the new congressional leadership is on a course to impede our liberty, your liberty and mine and the future liberty of your children and your grandchildren. Many of our representatives simply don't understand or care about the critical imperative to preserve our liberty. And it would seem that some of these so-called progressives actually seek to kill it. And these progressives are quite unlikely to understand or learn these things, which is why we have to. We need to overcome them. Our founding fathers counted on we the people to hold our government in check. And being able to do that means understanding the proper role of Congress. Now, to help us understand this critical issue for a limited time, my friends at Hillsdale College have brought their powerful online course on the history and proper role of Congress back, absolutely free to equip all of us to know what we should expect of our Congress. I encourage you to check out this course, but not just you, your family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors. Spread the word of liberty like Hillsdale College is. Hillsdale is on an important mission to restore liberty in our great country. And for a limited time, you can take their excellent and enlightening online courses for free. I urge you to sign up right now for this critical course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Learn how Congress used to work and why it doesn't work anymore. Learn more about liberty. Spread the word. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. Mark Levin, the modern voice of the founding fathers. This is the Mark Levin Show. Dial in now at 877-381-3811. Don't sit yet. You're going to like this. And exactly one century after Congress passed the constitutional amendment giving women the right to vote, we also have more women serving in Congress than at any time before. Well, yeah, that's uh, all part of the lowest unemployment rate on record for women, all part of the Trump economy uh, that has benefited every single minority group. No, literally every single minority group has reached a record low in unemployment rate since he became president. The irony is, the, uh, the absolute irony, the only demographic that has not reached an all-time record low for unemployment under the Trump presidency, white men. I mean, you can't make that stuff up. <laughs> so, yes, uh, not only record low unemployment for women, but even uh, translating to record numbers of women in Congress. Huh. A war on women. Now, I want to give you a couple programming notes. First, Life, Liberty, and Livin'. Uh, this Sunday, Fox News Channel, 10 p.m., uh, he's going to have... Fred Dreyer, the actor, radio host, former NFL defensive end, and always a uh, terrific show. If you don't catch it already, make sure you hit your DVR for Life, Liberty, and Levin on the Fox News Channel. And I also want to give you a, a heads up on a story I'm going to get into in a little bit. And uh, I want you to, to take, read, and share this story. The Science of Life and the Real Scandal in Virginia. It's The Science of Life and the Real Scandal in Virginia. Uh, you may tweet me at Brian Mud Radio. If you go there on Twitter, you will see the story. I have it ready for you there. Uh, if you search it, there are a few different uh, sites that pick up my content. Uh, you'll be able to find it under that uh, title, or all my content goes up at uh, WJNO.com. It's Brian Mud there. But this is a story that uh, I want to get into because who are the real science deniers here? It is an unemotional take on abortion and what's really going on in Virginia, the real scandal there. It's been covered up by blackface and the sexual assault scandals. It's almost been convenient in a way how that ended up distracting from the bigger issue 
uh, and the depravity and, and the lack of morality, which is all part of the, the bigger conversation here. All right, let's go to Lou in Connecticut. Lou, go. You've heard the expression, God helps those who help themselves? Yes, sir. <clears throat> I, I have been... I'm going to be a little bit of a Debbie Downer here with regard to uh, obtaining justice with all of the corruption that's going on. Um, the president, for whatever reason, uh, bad advisors, uh, not knowing personnel, just has uh, hired a, a bunch of duds. Although if we had, if the Whitaker we saw today <laughs> was able to uh, run the show, we might have a different result. But um, it. it you know, we've there are several issues. One, many of these crimes are three, four, and some of them five years old, and there's a clock running. Unless uh, and, and you have an aggressive prosecutor come in and uh, uh, create an umbrella and take everything under a RICO prosecution, these things are going to fall by the wayside. Uh, you have the issue of jury nullification. In this uh, animus this divided uh, United States that we're, we're living in, it's going to be very difficult for a prosecutor to seat a jury where he's not going to have one fly in the ointment and people are going to walk. The, the thing that really gets my gourd is, is, is former law enforcement is the destruction of evidence that's gone on by Mueller, uh, by uh, Comey and his band of uh, miscreants, and... Uh, Yep. Even the, the obstruction of subpoenas by Ray and Rosenstein. All yeah. of these things tell me that there's, you know, we're just, it's just not going to happen for us. I, I hear what you're saying, Lou, and uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for your service as well. Appreciate it. Here's the thing. Uh, I understand that I might be overly optimistic in believing that we will have some degree of accountability with folks that were involved with illegal behavior at the Department of Justice. Folks under the uh, Democrats' umbrella, even with uh, the, the whole arrangement and paying for the Steele dossier. I don't know necessarily what that looks like. I don't. Do I ever expect Hillary Clinton to be perp-walked? No, I don't. However, there are a couple things that I, I know. Um, one, factually. And, and two, anecdotally about the president. What I can tell you factually uh, is that we already have enough information to go on that if you want to have a case that is built against individuals like Rosenstein and Orr, you got it. It's already out there. It's documented. So, yeah, there's been evidence destruction, but, I mean, all you have to do is take a look at what we know about how the Steele dossier was created how it was omitted from the FISA court, and then we have testimony before Congress under oath, and we have contradictions. <laughs> so, And then we even have uh, officials that are all part of the co-conspirator process there that have contradictory statements. So it's not a question as to if there was perjury. It's not a question as to if there was illegal behavior. It can be prosecuted. Now, I think you are right in that Donald Trump, when he got in there, I, I do think he was used to being the CEO who goes in, cleans house, and gets the job done, and probably underestimated the extent of the deep state and the corruption, uh, no doubt. And, and so this is a much more difficult process. 
We also have seen that even some of his top advisors have been people that he hasn't necessarily been able to trust the way that he might have with his confidants in business. However, something I can tell you about Donald Trump, the person. Being down here uh, and and living uh, in the not-so-distant vicinity of the, the president, before he was ever in politics, some things I could tell you about him that, that I observed. He believes in individuals, and he believes in accountability. One of the things that uh, Donald Trump has done for years, you, you'll hear about Mar-a-Lago and, and you know, the employees there, and you, you might have even heard the stories about uh, how they hated him and everything else during the campaign. You notice how all that stuff went away? You know the reason why? Because overwhelming majority of his employees love the guy. He so believes in the individual and showing appreciation and doing the right thing that he will go around with $100 bills, shake the hands of people that are trimming the trees, doing the landscaping, cleaning the windows, doing the janitorial task. He'll thank them personally, give them $100. He's the kind of guy that, coming off a golf course, will have everybody who's willing to help him. But he'll not have anybody assist him. He'll put his hat up. He'll put his clubs up. He'll go eat off the buffet rather than having to have some custom thing done for him. Because he could have anything he wants, but he isn't that kind of person. He, from a character standpoint, I have no doubt, wants accountability and believes that it needs to happen. So he got himself in. It's going to be a long time coming before we do get to that end game. But Bill Barr is the person to watch here. Obviously, Sessions, the moment that he recused himself and became, hey, uh, Mr. Magoo, the, the justice guy or whatever, that was the big letdown. Put us nearly two years behind. But we've got a reset and we've got an opportunity. The other thing is, and this is where the truth will set you free, No matter what you hear in the news media, I'll give you one stat, and it's the only one that matters. There is a 65% chance, no matter what right now, that Donald Trump will be reelected president of the United States. And if his uh, approval rating among likely voters stays where it is right now in the upper 40s on average, he will be a prohibitive favorite no matter who runs against him. I'm not going to get into all those details right now, but it is historically, factually accurate what I just laid out to you. So, there is a far better than not chance that Donald Trump will win re-election. <laughs> so if he has another four years on back of what he's working on right now, I do believe the time will come where we will see some accountability. And I think he also believes enough in this country that he thinks it needs to happen or else the ship will have sailed. Um, all right, let's go to Jay in California. Jay, go. Hey, I just had a comment on the uh, Green Deal that everybody's talking <laughs> yes. about lately. <laughs> yes. Um, it seems like this is just a big kind of news story or show for the Democrats because, um, you know, if this did ever happen to squeak through and Democrats maybe won the Senate back, there's likely that he would probably veto it. And um, it would take a couple of election cycles to even get, you know, the, the Senate, the House, and the presidency, all the Democrats and even then, I have my doubts that the Democrats would approve that. So I don't know if this is just all a big show for them to have something to talk about or 
Okay, so here's what's really going on, Jay, and and you're pretty much on point that it really is just kind of like a bad joke and a sideshow. You know who's actually hurting most right now with all this that's going? It's actually Nancy Pelosi. Nobody is feeling more pain right now over the Green Deal than Nancy Pelosi because this is the problem she has to wear. And Nancy Pelosi is a lot of things, and she sounds like a socialist out of, I guess, the need of political expediency these days. But take a look at her and her background and how her and her husband made the money they made. They are capitalists, and she will not believe in the Green Deal more than you or me would. But the issue is, for her to become Speaker of the House, she had to give a certain amount of room to AOC and company. And she's given it to them. This is no doubt some kind of deal that she cut uh, to give her a platform and allow her to go out there and do her thing. And right now she's going, holy crap. How do I rein this in and how do I deal with this? So you're right. You don't have to worry about this right now. The bigger issue we have when it comes to this kind of nonsense, not politically, for the foreseeable future. The single biggest issue we have is educationally because where we have some of the teachers that sit there and go, hey, uh, this Green Deal thing, yeah, and they start teaching it to kids and they somehow or another get indoctrinated and think that this is viable. That's the bigger issue. Everything at a foundational level gets down to our education establishment. So that is my concern when it comes to this kind of nonsense. But politically, yeah, nothing to worry about here. Uh, let's go to Jim in Michigan. Jim, go. Hi, Brian. How are you? Hey, all good. Hey, what I've called for is um, <laughs> I heard everything you said, and I don't really disagree with you uh, concerning the Whitaker uh, hearings today. But I felt that he uh, had a couple opportunities where he could have hit the ball out of the park. I think he kind of struck out. Um, he didn't do us a lot of harm except on two points. One of the questions they lumped right wingers in with uh, with Nazis and uh, you know uh, racist and whatever. And as, the question was if if we were a danger to America. And without separating the the right wingers from the neo Nazis, um, he answered the question that we were a danger. Uh, that was troubling to me. The other point that I wanted to make is um, it, it was prefaced a question about the drugs that come across into America that end up on the streets. And and it was assumed that they come in across the southern border. And I've heard this many, many times, and nobody pushes back on it. So I really have just a sincere question. The drugs that get caught at the southern border, we know when, where, and how much they caught. But the drugs that end up on the streets in America, um, how, how do they know where they came in? Maybe, maybe they came in on a backpack unless I'm missing something. That's a good point, and a lot of it comes through the ports. You know, the the one, uh, the one Democrats latched on to that as soon as Trump started talking about all the drugs coming through the southern border. There are certain illicit drugs that are predominant that do come through the southern border, but uh, we do have uh, predominant volumes of illegal drugs that do come through ports of entry. You might have noticed that the president covered for that type of attack that he's been receiving from Democrats in the State of the Union address Tuesday night, he also said that his proposal also includes extra enforcement at the ports, not just the southern border, because that ultimately is where a lot of that other product is coming from. Appreciate the call, and uh, thanks for listening. We'll be right back. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mark Lovin. The new congressional leadership is in town, but there's nothing new about what they're pushing. Big government, centralized government, iron-fisted government, higher taxes, more regulations, open borders. 
They're on a mission to obstruct our freedom and undermine our sovereignty. Yours, mine, all of ours. And too many representatives don't care. This is the nature of progressivism. It's an ideological poison. And the best way to fight it is with knowledge, information about liberty, about the Declaration, about the Constitution, and how Congress is supposed to work. It's up to we, the people, to understand what our government is and is not supposed to do. And that includes Congress. And thankfully, my good friends at Hillsdale College have brought back the powerful online course on the history and proper role of Congress, and it's absolutely free. Please take advantage of this remarkable offer to equip yourself, your family, your friends, your neighbors, with the knowledge that all of us should have about our Congress and our government generally. Hillsdale College is on a critical mission to restore liberty in our great country. And you can take their excellent online courses for free for a limited time. So sign up right now for this important course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Learn how Congress used to work and why it doesn't anymore so we can do something about it. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. Attorney General, I have run the Department of Justice with fidelity to the law and to the Constitution. During my time as the leader of the Department of Justice, the Department has complied with the Special Counsel regulations, and there has been no change in how the Department has worked with the Special Counsel's office. Matthew Whitaker not giving the left what they wanted in the House Judiciary Committee hearing today. Uh, the uh, last car talking about the uh, the border situation. I'll give you an update. One of the great misconceptions that is uh, out there and, and has been out there is that we don't have any activity going on with the border wall or what is the status of the border wall or why didn't Republicans actually pass all the money when they had control of Congress? I want to walk you through something real quick. If I were to ask you the question, what is happening happening with the uh, southern border currently? And I gave you these three choices. Which would you answer with? Nothing's happening with the wall. Wall construction is underway. Or what border wall? There is a one. Which one are you going with? So the answer is that wall construction is underway. And because of how things often aren't covered, or at least not comprehensively, a lot of what has happened and a lot of what is goes by the wayside. First thing is, did you know that we have 654 miles of physical barriers on the southern border. That is exactly a third, a third of our entire southern border. Yeah, no joke. A third of the southern border, 654 miles, is uh, is actually uh, you know guarded. But uh, the the deal is, when Donald Trump became president and he had the idea of okay, we're going to build a wall, the big beautiful wall at the doors and things. He had an assessment by the Army Corps of Engineers, and uh, they took a look at uh, at the wall along with the Border Patrol, got feedback there, and they identified that there were 280 miles of the existing border wall that needed to be repaired and or modernized. So what happened? Well, rather than sitting there going, all right, well, we're just going to pick up where we are at the 654 and all this uh, you know broken stuff here along the border and, and just keep building it out, president prioritized that 280 miles, what already was there, to fix it and to rebuild, while also building prototypes. So what happened over the past two years? You had Republicans in Congress that issued two different appropriations, providing all of the money that the president needed for the border wall for everything that could be done at that moment in time. What's actually happening now is that the work is just about done. 
with that 280 miles to be modernized, to be fixed. And we will, later this year, run out of money without an additional appropriation. And, and, and it will come to a close. We will just have a third of the southern border that could use protection having it. That's what the conversation is about right now. And the reason why you didn't have Republicans get the full wall funding was because, well, Democrats issued a filibuster in the Senate. Republicans didn't break the legislative filibuster, so they got what they could. That's where we are today. Two sides to stories, one side to facts. I will be back with a lot more of them. We're going to get into this Virginia situation, the sliding scale of morality next. I'm Brian Mudd. And for the great one, Mark Levin. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker. Somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building. We've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. No time has the White House asked for, nor have I provided any promises or commitments concerning the special counsel's investigation or any other investigation. Yeah, but you wanted to, right? Come on, you want just tell us you did. So, yeah, uh, Matthew Whitaker not giving the Democrats in the House Judiciary Committee anything other than maybe some uh, some entertaining sound bites and some intellectual uh, kind of smackdowns uh, at time or five during the course of today's hearing. Nothing really newsworthy again came out of it, except if you do read between the lines. And if you do read between the lines, you might infer uh, that there ultimately could be something damning there for one Rod Rosenstein and for one Bruce Orr, among other Obama holdovers from uh, the uh, Justice Department and perhaps the FBI, none the least of which would be uh, James Comey. But from one attorney general to another, obviously what's been playing out in Virginia for over a week, pretty remarkable. And as remarkable as it all is, the biggest scandal is not the one we're talking about, whichever one you choose, be it with the governor, the lieutenant governor, or the Virginia attorney general. I will start with the Virginia attorney general, though, because of all uh, of the the trio here of – well, in, in, in interesting, uh, let's say, mor- morals, morality, uh, what, whatever you want to call the, the, the I, I, maybe it is the, the war on women, the Democrats' war on women, because you don't have people that are believing the attackers. Maybe it's the Democrats' war on race, because, you know, the, we're, the blackface. I mean, come on, right? So they got to go, got to go. But the the bigger issue here was what was covered up by blackface and by these sexual assault allegations. But Mark Herring, the Virginia Attorney General, this man is a special kind of individual because he called on Northa, Governor of Virginia, to resign for the blackface controversy knowing damn well that he did the same thing. He just hadn't been busted yet. Now think about what kind of of special sliding scale morality you must have in order to call out the governor 
have him resign under the hope that you get that one that one step closer to more power, knowing that you did the same thing. That gives you an idea of the amount of morality that exists with the Attorney General of Virginia. The Attorney General of Virginia. It is Brian Mudd. I am uh, your friend here in South Florida. I host the Morning Rush, WJNO in West Palm Beach, the Brian Mudd Show, WIOD in Miami. Uh, I am a, a guest contributor to the Fox News Channel. You'll be able to catch me next in the 1 o'clock hour this Sunday. And uh, it is always truly an honor and a pleasure to fill in for the great one, Mark Levin. And uh, when you take a look at the situation with Mark Herring, okay, so he calls out the governor for his blackface, calls on him to resign. He gets busted with his own. That in and of itself should have him at this point, if he had any integrity himself or other ranking Democrats, he would be gone. I don't necessarily know, and I'm not here to be judge and jury, as to if the whole blackface thing should have you eliminated from public office. This whole blackface thing, being honest with you, I just didn't grow up in this type of culture. And I'm from suburban Atlanta. And I lived in the South my entire life. And I still had never come across this whole blackface thing. So when the first controversies with it started to break about a year or two ago, what in the world even goes on here? And then it's like, oh, like those old, really poor-tasting commercials from way back. Okay, got it. But people doing that as a thing, I, I didn't understand it. But since Democrats obviously made it a litmus test, and anybody who engaged in, in blackface was necessarily a racist and thus had to go, well, that's the first little sliding scale of morality they've got to deal with. And then you've got the situation, and we have the added development with the lieutenant governor. We have a second accuser. This hit just about four hours ago. And there's actually a statement from the law firm of the second accuser, and it's pretty direct. This came from Smith Mullen. It's a request for the resignation of the lieutenant governor, Justin Fairfax. It says, we serve as counsel for Meredith Watson, who was raped by Justin Fairfax in 2000. Well, they are both students at Duke University. Well, I mean, they cut to the chase, right? I mean, there's uh, not a whole lot of uh, room for ambiguity here. So continuing, Mr. Fairfax's attack was premeditated and aggressive. The two are friends, but never dated or had any re- romantic relationship. Ms. Watson shared her account of the rape with friends and a series of emails and Facebook messages that are now in our possession. So if you're wondering, hey, uh, what is the validity? Do we have an, another Christine Ford situation in our hands? Don't know. But if there is a fair amount of evidence going all the way back, well, that might end up telling a different story, right? Additionally, we have the statements from former classmates corroborating that Miss Watson immediately told friends that Mr. Fairfax had raped her. And again, unlike the situation with Christine Ford, we're not talking about something from the early 80s. We're talking about something from 2000. Additionally, or uh, continuing, Miss Watson was upset to learn that Mr. Fairfax raped at least one other woman after he attacked her. The details of Miss Watson's attack are similar to those described by Dr. Vanessa Tyson. And it goes on to say that she's reluctant in everything else. Okay. So that situation is playing out. Here is what's fascinating about all of it. You talk about 
the lack of morality with so many different officials. If it weren't for Northam and his situation, we never would have heard anything about Fairfax and his. And had it not been for Fairfax and his allegations, we never would have found out anything about the attorney general. The same attorney general who called on the governor to resign before he was outed as having done the exact same thing. In other words, there's no element of right and wrong. There's no degree of morality. It's why it's very easy for not just them in Virginia, but for Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and whomever else, Diane Feinstein and company, to say, I believe her when it's Christine Ford, not to say anything about what's going on here with Fairfax in Virginia. But all of that, as bad as it is, is not the real scandal in Virginia. The bigger scandal in Virginia was what actually led to all of this happening in the first place. Walk back real quick. It was just last week. What took place in Virginia that actually led all this out in the first place? Well, you actually had medical students that knew Northam that were so disgusted by his defense of having a birthed baby aborted. A birthed baby aborted that they felt like they had to do something. And this was their way because all they saw was that he was advocating to pass a law to whack a newborn baby. Those guys, whomever is behind it, are heroes. And the real scandal here is really about what Northam was advocating for and what Virginia was seriously considering and how far down that path and the interest of political interest they're willing to go. Because when you don't have a moral compass, and all you care about is political power, you can do things like know that you were doing blackface too, but nobody knows about that yet, and call on somebody above you to, to resign so you get more power. You can do that, I guess, with a clean conscience. When you care so much about power that you see the opportunity to take out a honorable man with an accuser that has baseless claims. You say that you automatically believe her because you believe that if you can win enough public support, you can ruin that man's life. It's okay because it's all about your political interests and your political power. And that has led us to this point. It's the science of life, the science of life, and the real scandal in Virginia. See, one of the things for liberals for some time has been that if you don't believe in science through every theoretical vision they have of it, you're a science denier, right? I want to tell you who the real science deniers are. I'm going to bring you the science and the life, the real scandal in Virginia, and paint the picture about what's really being denied here. And it's the most amoral thing that we've probably seen in this country's history. That's coming up next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin'. Do you wake up in the morning feeling sluggish and have to drag yourself through your day? Do you feel bloated, tired, and out of shape? Eating healthy is a habit. 
But most of us don't really know exactly what we should be eating, right? How much we should be eating and how to properly prepare it. This is why I drink Field of Greens every morning before I start my day. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. Helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Now this is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com and get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. Now, you know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouse, L-E-V-I-N.com, offer code LEVIN. Welcome all of them as they highlight the importance of this existential threat to the planet. Ah, yes, Nancy Pelosi. So if you don't believe in something like, I don't know, the, the Green New Deal or whatever the current version is of scientific theory that's being advanced, then you are a science denier, right? Well, let's think about something. Now, I'm not gonna, going to get overly... Uh, preachy here. I'm not going to get emotional at all. This is a very emotional issue for pretty much everybody, myself included, but that's not what I'm, I'm coming uh, to, to do with this topic, with the way I've presented it. It's Brian Mudd in for Mark Levin. I will talk about there being two sides to stories and one side of facts. I have very strong opinions. My opinions have been formulated based on fact. And, uh, I've said before that if there were a way to explain away God, for example, a belief in something greater, I'm listening, right? You have information. But the greatest irony of science is what? The science can't explain itself. Science can't explain origin. No matter what the belief is, you can latch on to whatever scientific theory there is, whatever version somebody wants to advance. I'll embrace it. I'll walk as far back with you as you want to, right? But at some point, you still don't have the answers. Science can't explain science. That is one universal truth beyond dispute. We all believe in something. We all have faith in something. Drives atheists crazy when I say atheists have belief in something. They just have belief in nothing. It's all belief. Now, this is the teachable moment about Virginia. The real scandal, as bad as whatever might be going on. The blackface stuff, certainly the sexual assault, if there's legitimacy to it, bad stuff. But what's worse is what actually started this whole thing. What led those former students in med school to reach out to Northam with those pictures, showing him and potentially blackface, which he denied, and then said, yeah, but I did the Michael Jackson thing. The teachable moment is that the actions that were taken to a certain extent in New York, but mostly Virginia, defended by Northam, showed the hypocrisy of these politicians who've ignored science while espousing that if you don't adhere to every version of science, When you're making decisions, you're a denier. 
I present to you the scientific definition of life. Life is the condition that distinguishes animals and plants from inorganic matter, including the capacity for growth, reproduction, functional activity, and continual change preceding death. Okay? Now take the scientific definition of life, and you apply it to the abortion argument generally. There are yes and no answers to all these circumstances. As early as conception is there, first, the capacity for growth. The answer is yes. Scientifically, the answer is yes, okay? Two, as early as conception is there, the potential to reproduce. Well, the answer is yes, right? Early as conception, is there potential for functional activity? Well, yeah, potential exists, right? And as early as conception is there, continual change preceding death? The answer is yes. See, pregnancy, and this is the uncomfortable truth for a lot of people, for a lot of people. Pregnancy, as early as conception, fits every scientific characteristic of life. In the case of abortion, we're discussing human life. That's the premise here. The latest actions that were taken in New York and proposed and defended by Northam that brought about everything that we've now learned about Northam and Fairfax and Attorney General, it is ultimately based on the premise that they're willing to go that far to have a baby that could actually be birthed and then have an abortion. It simply demonstrates the extent to which these politicians are comfortable with the elimination of human life. That is the real scandal. That is the much bigger story here. And they ultimately are science deniers if they are trying to suggest otherwise. Now, If you want that information, I have that story that's put together. Uh, You can follow me at Brian Mudd Radio on Twitter. Story is there for you to take. You can also search for the science and life, uh, the science of life and the real scandal in Virginia. Search my name, Brian Mudd, and you will get to it. And I think it's important, if you care about the topic, that you take, read, and share it. Because near as I can tell and near as I know, there isn't anyone who's ever put the information just the way that I did. No emotions, just facts. It's about life. It's about science. And it's about the lack of morality that's entered so much of our society that has led these politicians to feel that it is the politically expedient thing to do. And if they're willing to do that, what else are they willing to do? I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin. Mark Levin, making conservatism great again. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. The sun is setting. 
on the dirty energy of the past. Today marks the dawn of a new era of climate action. It almost sounds like a parody, doesn't it? <laughs> that is a senator from Oregon, uh, Ed Markey, and he, he dead serious. He's He was there with the Dancing Queen, good old AOC on the Green New Deal. But, I mean, my gosh, these people, uh, even when they are dead serious, don't they sound like caricatures of themselves. Uh, anyway, but they are, are definitely uh, big believers in science, right? And, and so we should not deny science. And I pointed out that the reason, remember, the premise, I, I will talk about the premise. There are two sides to stories, one side of facts, and the premise. If the premise of anything is false, anything built upon it is going to be false as well. Now, the premise of the situation in Virginia, with all three, with the governor, with the lieutenant governor, and with the attorney general, they all have their own problems. But the only reason we know about their problems, why? Well, ultimately, because they, the doctors that they were uh, in school with, that Northam was in school with, I found it so offensive what he had been supporting, what he said in defense of birthing a baby and still having uh, that birth to baby up for potentially, well, a- abortion, that, that they felt like they had to do something. It was so morally reprehensible they had to do something. And so I wanted to illustrate a point simply based on science. If we are, are to be believers in science, some aspects of it are theory. A lot of science is, is fact, right? A lot of it is proven. A lot of it we should adhere to. And the inconvenient truth when it comes to life is that there is a scientific definition for life. And this is true of everything. It's not just human life. Uh, it, the, the four different uh, characteristics that must be present for life, the capacity for growth, the potential to reproduce, the potential for functional activity, and there has to be continual change preceding death. And that is the uncomfortable truth when it comes to, well, abortion generally. And my goal here is not to travel too far down that path. We all have our own ideas on things. We all have our own, uh, you know, sense of morality. You know, I, I don't want to get into the weeds talking about where, uh, you know, we all should should come down from a point of morality. I'll, I'll leave that up to you. My point is to illustrate that for those that preach science, uh, this is the science. And they should at some level have to account for it. And the question does become, okay, if you believe that a baby could be birthed and then it is still up for being uh, aborted, at what point are you uh, then a believer that life should not be aborted? What is your, your sense of morality? And again, the most offensive thing, even above and beyond that, is that Northam and some of these other Democrats in Virginia actually thought that was the politically correct thing to do the politically expedient thing for them to be doing in their state. That is remarkable. Uh, let's go to Sandy in North Carolina. Sandy, go. Hey, how are you? Hey, oh, doing well. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to go back on that, but I will make a point about uh, the issue of, of this climate change crap. Uh, you know, we breathe out so much CO2 on average, one human being, you might as well just, uh, make it a annihilation plan. Well, there you go. Yeah, because we are polluting just by existing, we right? So you bring up a good point. CO2 into the atmosphere, every single human. You just Earth. made a better case than Northam did. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. The science is there. Part per million, we put out, human beings, that is, more CO2. And not to mention, you know, cow flatulence, right? we got to account else. for that, Anything too. Huh? Yeah. 
Oh, and you got to account for cow flatulence too. And this is the real oh, yeah. dilemma. This is the real dilemma. Appreciate the uh, the call, Sandy, because the real dilemma here, uh, if you are, uh, let's imagine for a moment that you you are a uh, science believer on the left, and and you believe in the Green New Deal, and you are maybe not a, a believer that we should be eating meat. What do you do here? Oh, uh, you know, because on one hand, if we end up uh, not eating meat, we have all the cows. The cows uh, have flatulence, and the cow flatulence, uh, an average cow will actually produce more pollution than your car during the course of a year. So now we've got the quandary about, okay, we're, we're not eating the cows, and so we've got all these cows, and they might be populating, and, and then we've got all that extra uh, carbon emission. So it's a real quandary once you do travel down that path. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, let's go to uh, Rex in Ohio. Rex, go. Hey, how you doing, Brian? Thanks for having hey. me on the show. First off, I want to say uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny that AOC has made uh, cow suits uh, national headlines. That's kind of pathetic. Kind of goes to show you what kind of bird brain she is. But I wanted to get into uh, really. Uh, I watched the six hour, the full thing of the Matthew Whitaker oversight hearing. Now, if you want to call it oversight hearing, that's a joke on the Democrat side because the only ones asking real, honest oversight questions were the Republicans regarding the crimes in their certain districts, you know, the representative districts they reside in, and the border. The Democrats, now, when I called in, I wanted to discuss what many people think is not happening. You know, you might have to hear me out here. And I'm going to. Hang on one second, Rex, and I want to reset. Uh, Now, in in full disclosure, I have uh, done two shows previous to this one, and so I did not have a chance to catch the entire hearing. I got bits and pieces of it, and and then I went through uh, most of what I thought were effectual moments in it, so I got a pretty good taste. My my thought, based upon what I heard and experienced, is that if you read between the lines— what Matthew Whitaker was really saying is that, yeah, you're going to find some stuff on Rosenstein and on Orr and on Comey and on other individuals. So I'm curious to hear what you felt having taken in the full hearing experience. Yes, and actually you're correct on that. Now, much of the, our fellow sovereign citizens here in the U.S. listening, they might not believe anything is happening, but you have to look at the evidence. I'll get back to the hearing because this is kind of uh, contextual. Now, what we've seen, President Trump constantly tweeting about the illegal hoax, right? Now, Matthew Whitaker, the acting attorney general, President Trump is kind of educating the public at that point. Have you ever known Trump to say something in public that hasn't become true? Uh, (laughs) It's it's the truth. Now, acting attorney general Matthew Whitaker, Jeff Sessions, I believe, is not a bad guy. A lot of people think he's a dud. He's sleepy Sessions. You know, I used to kind of think that, but I looked at it a little deeper. Now, Matthew Whitaker was the chief of staff. To Jeff Sessions. He was kind of running back and forth between right. Huber and Sessions. Huber right. has a team of 470 U.S. attorneys. You think that the 17 angry Democrats and Little Mueller is a threat? Look at what the Democrats have to deal with. And you can see the panic, the panic today. All six hours of the Democrats' side was them screaming and moaning, trying to cipher information out of Matthew Whitaker. They tried and tried and tried. Jackson Lee treated him like crud. It was embarrassing for her. And we know her to have been captured with, you know, a little pedophilic ring on her left hand. At one point, it's kind of like, if you remember that photo op. Anyways, I digress. And these people, like, and even Escobar was just taunting Whitaker, trying sure. to get him just to... To, to, to crack. Back and, yeah. And, you, and, you, you're absolutely right. So, Rex, 
let's uh let's, let's take a couple things and, and what he's saying is like you know having taken in the whole thing listening to the absurdity of it the first thing is when you have any of these house hearings if you've taken in some of the hearings that will happen between senate committees and house committees there is a difference in the professionalism in the decorum between house hearings and senate hearings almost always and it, it gets down to Ultimately, the representatives of certain districts that end up on committees relative to those who have to win their state. And I'll leave it at that. But when you take a look at what ended up going down there, no doubt they did try to push his buttons to get him to crack. And Matthew Whitaker, it was kind of hilarious, not just when he was being hilarious uh, somewhat deliberately and, and calling them out. But he's a short-timer. He's the ultimate short-timer. And so he went there to do what he was going to do. And what he was going to do would, hey, I'll give you the truth where I can tell it. And uh, otherwise, I'm not going to take your crap. And if you think that you're smarter than me, you're probably wrong. But when you really get through some of the finer points of what went on in that hearing today, there was lots of room for the ongoing investigations. And what Rex is talking about here is, and even with Sessions, where he's providing cover, there's been stuff going on right along, right? It's not like uh, the only person who would be involved in investigations of the uh, the Comey team, of Rosenstein, of Orr, of all of the conspirators. It's not like it would be Jeff Sessions. The overwhelming majority of the work would have been his staff, including Whitaker, right, his uh, his right hand. So Whitaker has knowledge on all this stuff, not just from his time as attorney general, but ever since Jeff Sessions became the attorney general himself. Now, uh, that being said, I still think it is bullcrap that he recused himself. I do not give Sessions a pass. But, yes, I do agree. And from what I've been able to, to read into the situation, there have been ongoing investigations with regularity. Now, a lot of folks were concerned when Democrats took control of the House that the House investigations ended. But it's not like all the evidence from the Justice Department necessarily went away or what Whitaker himself has. The biggest issue you have had up to this point is that you still had two co-conspirators and Rod Rosenstein and Bruce Orr there. What's interesting is now that you're going to have an attorney general who's not going to recuse himself from this situation. Now it gets real. Because the issue you had the moment that Sessions recused himself and you had Ron Rosenstein become the acting attorney general over the Mueller investigation was what? He needed to stay there for about as long as he possibly could because that was one of the few ways he might be able to protect himself given that he himself is a conspirator in all of this, signing off on finds a warrant request with bogus information, having known it was bogus information, having set the president up with the Mueller investigation in the first place because he ended up issuing the recommendation to the president to fire Comey only so that would trigger the special prosecutor, right? It's all obvious and out there for anyone to be able to put the pieces together. So, yes, I agree. That's part of the reason why uh, at the onset of the show I said, I am cautiously optimistic. I'm a realist that errs on the side of optimism. And I do believe that ultimately we are going to have accountability. And I also think as we take a look at Bill Barr and his vote, mentioned that the original committee vote in the early 90s when he became attorney general under George Herbert Walker Bush, his committee vote was a unanimous vote. 
every Democrat voting for him. He was uh, appointed attorney general in the Senate by a voice vote. Not a contentious situation in the least. Well, it was a party line vote to get him out of committee. We'll see what happens before the full Senate. But why is it so much different? I actually think that a big part of it comes down to what we're talking about here. He represents the real threat to that next leg and the coming accountability. And I don't necessarily think at this point in his life, I don't know anything about the guy, I don't know the guy, but Bill Barr, already been attorney general, sure he was perfectly happy in his day-to-day life doing whatever it is he was that didn't include all this stress and drama. I can't imagine that he is accepting this situation without his eyes wide open going in and feeling as though there is a very important job that needs to be done. And I think a lot of those Democrats are keenly aware, and that's why they are so scared. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one. Mark Lovin. If you have a moment, I want you all to go to BrickHouseLevin.com. Just go there and click on the Buy Now button so you can read the reviews. Over 1,200 five-star reviews, I might add. But this one caught my attention from Steve in Denver. I'm upset with Mark because he's got me hooked on Field of Greens. What a great product. Thank you, BrickHouse, for your amazing product and great customer service. I'm a monthly subscriber, and I won't live without it. And you're welcome, Steve. And subscribing is smart. You save money that way. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN. Get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. Are you overseeing a witch hunt? Congressman, as I've mentioned previously, the special counsel's investigation is an ongoing investigation, and so I think it would be inappropriate for me to... But you wouldn't oversee a witch hunt, would you? You'd stop a witch hunt, wouldn't you? Congressman, uh, it would be inappropriate for me to talk about an ongoing investigation. Come on, say it! Uh, what do you what do you think is going? That was uh, Tennessee representative Steve Cole. What do you think is going to do? Is this going to be a, a Jack Nicholson? Hey, you can't handle the truth. It's a witch hunt. Yeah, and guess what else it is? And guess what I'm doing with Mueller? Yeah, I mean, what, come on, seriously. Oh, they did try hard though. They really did try to get Matthew Whitaker at the uh, House Judiciary hearing today. Uh, now, talking about law enforcement, I'm Brian Mudd in for Mark Levin. Talking about law enforcement, a couple things. First, Jack Levin, Mark's dad, last book that he put out, Our Police. If you don't already have that book for your kids, get it. It is so incredibly important that we have a, a generation that understands the importance of police in our lives and our society. Because what has been fostered is increasingly dangerous going back to when all of the nonsense started with the racist hate organizations that started protesting police and calling in some cases for violence against police 
that led to the spiking of police violence. I ended up starting a feature that I do weekly down here. Honoring the heroes that have fallen over the previous week. Talking about some of the the families and some of the stories locally that media will never talk about. And what's increasingly sad, I'd hope that, hey, you know, over the course of time we can make progress. That more people will understand that every day you've got thousands upon thousands of police officers that put on a badge They leave their families. They go to work to try to keep us safe. That we would make progress and we would see violence against police decrease. Well, it's been going the other way. 2018, we lost 148 police officers in the line of duty. That was a 16% increase over the prior year. And for the first time in American history, the top cause of death was murder. Murdering of police officers. Already in 2019, we've lost 15 police officers. Yeah, you guessed it. The most common way they have died in the line of duty has been by murder. Just over the past week, we lost another five heroes. People that you probably never heard about. For example, in Louisiana, Corporal Shane Toddy. He was struck and killed while conducting a funeral uh, procession escort. He had a wife and an infant. In Ohio, Detective William Brewer murdered while responding to a suicide threat, survived by a wife and a son. In Texas, Border Patrol agent, yes, Border Patrol agent, Donna Doss killed while assisting in the pursuit of an illegal immigrant at our southern border. Didn't hear that one, did you? She survived by a husband and two children. In Virginia, Trooper Lucas Dow murdered while investigating a narcotics warrant. Also, with a uh, narcotics investigation in Wisconsin, Officer Matthew Rittner was murdered. He was a Marine veteran, survived by a wife. And that's the other thing. Not only do you need to back the badge and spread the word, please support the families as well. In addition to already losing 15 officers this year, we have nine widows and 12 children that have already lost a parent. Overall deaths this year, 15% above last year already. we got to make a difference. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. We will not rest, we will not relent, until our customs and border protection have the technology, the personnel, and the barriers required to secure our border. We're going to build that wall one way or another. 
Well, it is pretty definitive. I mean, not really ambiguity there, one way or another. So it certainly would imply that the president is willing to take executive action if need be. Now, of course, you have many different thoughts on what that might look like. The emergency declaration is something that obviously has been floated. We know that would be legally challenged. But then you have folks like uh, Jim Jordan, House Freedom Caucus members said, hey, uh, he doesn't need to do any emergency declaration. He's over the military's commander chief, so he could go ahead and and have money allocated uh, in the military budget for construction, and he could actually uh, just have the military down there and construct the border wall. Whatever the case may be, it is clear. It is clear with the vice president saying what he said earlier today that one way or another it's going to happen. Now, one of the greatest myths that's been perpetuated throughout the course of this process, has been that this is Donald Trump's wall, so to speak, or that Americans don't really want border security this way. Because you'll hear the polls. The majority of Americans do not support a border wall. The reason is people go to their political corners when it is branded about Donald Trump. If you have a a wall that is synonymous with the president and you have an opinion about the president, and if you're on the left and you feel strongly against him, then you're going to be opposed to it because you oppose him and you believe in the people that you are used to voting for that despise the guy and say, we don't need it. It's amoral. Now, you're ignorant and you don't realize that Nancy Pelosi, her entire career through 2013, voted to fund physical border security. I laid out earlier in the show that we have 33% of our southern border, exactly a third of our southern border, that has a physical border wall or fencing right now. Most people don't have the first clue. That's the case. And a lot of that's there because Nancy Pelosi voted for it. When you have the people say, oh, it's fifth century technology, try telling that to Israel. But that's just the starting point for the conversation because around the world, we had 15 countries. That's it, 15 that had border walls of some sort. Uh, So since 1990, how many have we had? Oh, we now have 77 countries that have a border wall. That's right. 62 countries have added one before that. Hmm. Interesting. So the branding. About now you're going, hold on. Who is this guy? It's not Mark. You are right. Uh, I'm your friend here in South Florida, Brian Mudd. I host uh, the Morning Rush on WJNO, the Brian Mudd Show on WIOD in Miami, and I am always honored, and it's a true pleasure to be here with you, one of my absolute favorite forums in radio. It would almost be sacrilege for me to say that I enjoy doing this show with you more than I do my own shows, my local audiences every day, but truth is, I love this audience, and I love this opportunity because... You're as intelligent and as informed as you are. And being able to get into the real information and the level of detail that we get to discuss is something that's exciting to me. And that's what takes me to this particular point. Yes, we already have a third of the southern border that has a physical border wall. Yes, you will have Nancy Pelosi say that it's immoral to have one, even though what we have is in large part there because she voted for it, along with folks like Chuck Schumer. And yes, even Barack Obama himself voted for it in the United States Senate. Oh, inconvenient truth, along with uh, Hillary Clinton. So it was apparently not immoral then, but it became immoral somewhere along the way. Now, the bigger issue as they talk about the branding, and you'll hear the polls that a majority of Americans don't want the border wall. Here is the truth of the matter. 
80% of Americans, and this is Gallup, okay? According to Gallup, 80% of Americans do not want the United States to become lenient on illegal immigration. Yeah. They would like existing policy enforced. Now, think about that for a moment. What is existing policy? Is it legal for you to just meander across the southern border? Well, it certainly isn't. So what does that mean? If we don't want to become more, well, we want to enforce illegal immigration. We want to make sure that people cannot just wander across that southern border. Now, those that despise the president and buy into you know, the, the leftist nonsense, they might believe that technology is an answer. Now, technology is the biggest lion farce running here. It, it is so patently stupid. I don't even know where to begin. Even if you had all of the technology in the world, and let's say that we had these amazing sensors and maybe even drones, who knows? And uh, so is, you, you would have some folks that would be running across the southern border, and all of a sudden the technology would go off, and somewhere in the border patrol, it would be a, oh, there they are, swarm, swarm, swarm. And, and, and you would see the, the swarming around the illegals, and you would see the illegals crossing the border go, ah, and, and, and they'd be encircled in, in, in somewhere along the way. Okay, even if that visual happened, guess what just happened? The moment they touch United States oil, they have to be processed. Now, that is not only a pain in the butt at best, dangerous for the Border Patrol, by the way, in the process, but you know how much that costs? Every day, for every single illegal immigrant, and even these asylum seekers, should they reach our soil, it cost us $134 per day per person. We spent over $4.1 million per day just having the people in the holding bin waiting to be processed at the southern border. Nothing to do with all the rest of it. That's just at the southern border. Now, with more information and the proper branding, this not being Donald Trump's wall, this being the Border Patrol's wall, which is what it really is, you're, you would see those numbers shoot higher with 80% of Americans thinking that we do need to enforce existing law. They just haven't listened to, oh, I don't know, someone like Mark Morgan. Happened to be a career FBI guy. And yes, he was the last Border Patrol chief for President Obama. President Trump replaced the man. This was a quote a few weeks ago to the Washington Post from Mark Morgan. He said, I was removed. I'm standing up and saying, I should have disdain for them. Talking about the Trump administration. But I don't because they are right. I can stand up and say they're right because it's the right thing to do for this country. I'm begging the president to stay the course. And then select media outlets, even as recently as yesterday, you will hear Mark Morgan make a similar case. Someone who disagrees with the president politically but is begging, in his own words, the president to stay the course because the Border Patrol needs the wall. Again, the reason why Donald Trump ran on the wall was not that he just had this kooky idea and he said, hey, let's do it. It's because they had been asking for it. And if the 80% of Americans don't want illegal immigrants just to be able to run across the border and the Border Patrol says this is what we need to do it, what are they really saying? They're just ignorant because a lot of them have listened to the lies of the left and the idea of technology and swarm, swarm. Oh, it's so frustrating. But, once again, two sides of stories, one side of facts. 
If we took a look at the Border Patrol in the wall, the tools, there's one thing actually frustrated me about the President's State of the Union address. He made a, a very good case, did very well with the performance on it. But the one thing that I wish he would have done, it is so intellectually absurd for Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and whomever else to stand back and say, that it's amoral and that it's not needed when they're in Washington, D.C. And, yes, they have their own homes with their own walls and everything else. But that notwithstanding, when you are representing people, when you are tasked with providing tools for those that put themselves in harm's way, and they tell you that we need these tools, and you say, no, you don't, It takes a special kind of awful person, pretty awful person, to do that. And it takes a a pretty dishonest mainstream news media to omit all of this information that I'm sharing with you. What I wish Donald Trump would have done, say, the union, with all of them there, and some of the folks from the Border Patrol there, say that until you, Nancy Pelosi... And you, Chuck Schumer, and your families go to that southern border and decide that you're going to secure it according to your methods. How about listening to these people when they tell us they need that wall? Because what even they would not be willing to do is to send our military out into battle but not give them the resources that they need to fight. But that's what we do every single day in this country because the Border Patrol says they need this. doesn't matter if it's Donald Trump's initiative. They care more about politics than they do about principle, about the rule of law, and about the lives of our Border Patrol and about all the victims of those that are caught in the crosshairs of the illegal activity that comes across. And every last one of us is a victim financially of what we have to pay for and account for because of their illegal behavior that they enable. But I do think we're making progress. And as the vice president said, one way or another, it's going to happen. Got some more information to drive home this point coming up next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mark Lovin. I do believe at the end of the day that we'll all be in the same place. Um, We know at the end of the day we want the president to be able to sign this. So we will work together to make sure whatever we bring out there that the president would be supporting. Okay, and so there's another little detail in all of that discussion with the negotiations that are going on, as we could be in partial government shutdown part two uh, a week from now, if nothing else happens. That was Kevin McCarthy, House Minority uh, Leader at this point. It's weird for him to be the minority leader, but he is uh, because, of course, Nancy Pelosi is Speaker of the House. And we were just talking about Chuck and Nancy and the dishonesty about the southern border, the border wall really being there for the Border Patrol and even Obama's Border Patrol chief who disagrees with President Trump politically pleading with the president to stay the course because how important it actually is. But uh, I referenced earlier in the show, and this is not something to overlook in all this, with 76% of Americans viewing 
They say the union favorably Tuesday night. One of the very important things that happened during the course of uh, that sequence of events from the state of the union, the way we viewed it into these negotiations, wherever they happen to go, the people you don't hear from. Remember, the most pervasive form of bias in news media is omission of information. And AOC gets all of the attention of the freshman Democrats and even most of the people out there politically otherwise. So you have in the House Nancy Pelosi, and then you have uh, AOC, uh, the dancing queen. And uh, what you don't hear from are the dozens of other Democrats that are there that actually were in districts that Donald Trump won in 2016 and will be on the ballot for again next year. And what's important there, as you're hearing about the potential for compromise, there's no doubt that somebody who voted for Trump in 2016 was voting for him in part for the wall, right? Okay. And so uh, what do you think? If you're a freshman Democrat uh, that just picked up a seat in a swing district that went for Trump, how are you going to get a voter potentially to vote for Donald Trump at the top of the ticket, but you as a Democrat down ballot if you're going with AOC and Nancy Pelosi? Or might you be more inclined to go to Kevin McCarthy and come and go, you know what? Uh, so, so you want some money for the wall? Uh, I, I could see doing something. So, you are likely to see more of that than you will ever hear in the news media. And Nancy Pelosi certainly will not admit that there is a break in, break in her rank, but there is. So, watch that. Here's something else you don't get: the real political story. Now, you'll hear all day long about a negative poll about President Trump. Uh, I mean, news media likes to grab it, run with it, go, oh, my gosh, he's the worst ever for X. But the truth is uh, he actually has higher ratings among likely voters at this point in his presidency than, oh, Barack Obama, than, oh, Bill Clinton, than even Ronald Reagan. Yeah, no kidding. Now, what happens when you take a look at the average approval ratings? We see a huge divergence between, say, the crowd that might vote for the Dancing Queen and, and everybody else. So if you... Take a look at polling over the past week of just adult-only samples. You just go out there, man on the street, and say, all right, do you approve or or disapprove of of Donald Trump? Only 39% of Americans say that they approve of him. So, yes, your man on the street, just random boob out there in life, uh, go, yeah, I disapprove. Okay. Then you bump up to registered voters. Among registered voters over the past week, the president's approval rating has averaged 42%. Uh, Not great, but higher. But then among likely voters, take a look at the average of just likely voters over the past week. His approval rating bumps all the way up to 48%. Nine-point difference between adult-only samples and likely voters. And nine points we're talking about that level is significant in many different respects. Not only is it much higher than the aforementioned presidents at this point in the presidency, but were he to carry that type of an approval rating into the 2020 election, I don't care who the heck the Democrats run against the man. He'd be a prohibitive favorite to win re-election. Because the other little factoid here is that a president running for re-election wins 65% of the time to begin with. And any time you start getting really over 46 47% approval going into an election, they almost never lose. But here is the rest of that particular story that you also don't get. While... You will hear about the president's most lousy polls. What you never hear about our approval ratings of the Democratic leadership. So naturally, if you only even in those adult only samples had just 39 percent of adults approving of uh, Donald Trump, they must like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, right? Um, No. The average approval rating over the past week of one speaker, Nancy Pelosi, 37 percent. Yeah, that's right. 
With Donald Trump's average approval rating across all samples being 42%, she would have to get a nice kiss of five points to have an approval rating as high as the president. Have you ever heard that? And what about Chuck? How you doing, Chuck? 30% approval. Yeah, that's right. Chuck Schumer's approval rating right now is 12 points lower than Donald Trump's average approval rating. Two sides of stories, one side of facts. And as is usually the case, the most pervasive form of bias in news media is omission. But again, the politicos themselves, even if the news media often want to tell you this stuff, they tend to know. They tend to know. And as it pertains to AOC and the Green New Deal and all this stuff, I'm enjoying watching Nancy Pelosi because (laughs) she's having to sleep in this bed that she has made. It's actually kind of entertaining to watch if you look at it from that perspective. I'm Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. A champion of freedom. You know, you're one of the greatest champions of freedom in this country, if not in the English-speaking world, Mark. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. Well, is Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. And speaking of the great one, he will be back next Sunday evening, Life, Liberty, and Levin, a brand-new episode, 10 o'clock on the Fox News Channel His guest is Fred Dreyer, the actor, radio host, former NFL defensive end. Always an awesome show. If you don't already have your DVR set, we'll go ahead and set it again. 10 o'clock Sunday night, Life, Liberty, and Levin on the Fox News channel. All right, so a couple things as we take a look at next steps here. Talked about the president's approval ratings, the the approval ratings or lack thereof of the, the Democrats how the president's State of the Union address gained so much traction that it's going to put a lot of pressure on people you've not really heard about, and that the majority of the incoming House Democrats, the Democrats that flipped seats from Republicans last year, but that went for Donald Trump in 2016 and went for Republicans in those House districts in 2016, watching what's going on here. And that is the real key in all of this, to getting something done for that southern border wall. And if all else fails between now and next Friday, well, as Mike Penn said again today, one way or another, that wall is going to happen. All right, let's go to Gabrielle in Jersey. Gabrielle, go. Hey, good evening. I think if we had that wall up, we would have never lost that aforementioned officer that was pursuing an illegal. These cartels are involved in um, exploiting youth and trafficking teenagers on our side of the border as well as theirs. There's a site on this, Danielle Sattel, S-I-T-T-E-L, yep. on Google. It says 1387 WordPress. Yeah, I uh, appreciate uh, appreciate the call, Gabrielle. All right, uh, let's go to Mike in Melbourne, Florida. Mike, go. Hi, Brian. You're doing a great job filling yeah, in the mark. Hey, I just want to touch back on uh, you mentioned accountability earlier in the show. Uh, and, you you know, I, I like you, I definitely want to see accountability. But you also mentioned that you, you, you don't think you'll ever see Hillary Clinton being perp-walked, and I'm, I'm scared that you're right about that. But as far as accountability goes, let me just say I'm a retired engineer. I worked for uh, a major defense contractor here, and I have a security clearance, a secret clearance. And in my job, if I had to look at a classified document, 
I had to go into a restricted area. And if I didn't have the proper clearance, I couldn't even enter that area. All the classified information was stored on separate servers from the rest of the system that could only be accessed by computer terminals in that restricted area. If I had just taken one document from the restricted area off a restricted terminal and brought it to my PC at my desk one room away, I would have been perp walked. Yep. Okay? We already know, let alone a separate private server in the basement of my house or something, God forbid. But I'm just saying, if, if there's going to be accountability, she has to answer for that. She needs to be perp walked. Because if she's not, then we have a two-tier justice system, and there is no accountability. Well, you're exactly right. And, and what we know is up to this point, we have had a, a you know, two-tier justice system. And truth is, uh, you know, it, it, you're right. If Hillary Clinton never is brought to justice, and, and I don't suspect that she personally will be, I do think that there could be significant accountability for folks that were at the Bureau and uh, at justice, including people that are currently at justice. I, uh, I, I hear what you're saying, and I hear the frustration. We have had uh, the, those two sets of, you know, uh, classes here, the political class. The deep state really has operated independent of the law. And the rest of us, the rank and file, really do have to deal with the accountability as it is sought. But it's not, if you think about it, it's not just at the highest levels of government that you you can get away with something. See, it's all part of the sliding scale of morality. I talked about morality in multiple respects. The situation in Virginia... Uh, from the blackface uh, situation to, obviously, the lieutenant governor who's got his sex scandal issues. But also, in terms of the willingness to eliminate life. Because the one thing that really is being lost in the entire Virginia saga is how we ended up in this place to begin with. And it was simply because you had med school students of the governor that were so horrified that he was making the case that a baby could be born and still somehow or another aborted, that they felt that they needed to do whatever they could to put a stop to it. And what they viewed as putting a stop to it was, hey, we've got these incriminating pictures of him. That's how this whole thing happened, right? So the sliding scale of morality is all over the place. Now, when you're talking about that kind of morality – Apply it to illegal immigration, which we've been talking about. Is it not true that in many respects, especially in sanctuary states like California or cities, anywhere USA, that they get to operate independent of the law as well? In many cases, they would end up in a better circumstance being detained by law enforcement for a given offense than you as an American citizen would. That also happens. It's simply part of a lack of principle based upon a lack of morality. And again, when you have a willingness to go as far as they are to eliminate life, they're willing to do whatever they feel they need to do for political power. That's the real danger here. But again, back to the accountability uh, in in the deep state for the folks that are there, I do have a, a degree of confidence that Barr, once he gets into the Justice Department, uh, is going to bring a number of people 
to justice. And I'll reserve judgment on all the rest of it uh, once we get to that point. Let's go to Greg. Greg in Montana. Go. Hi, how are you? Hey, all good. Um, yeah, a couple of minutes ago, you were talking about the visual with uh, the president and putting Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer on the hook for the wall. And uh, you mentioned that they would not want to um, send the military out without the tools that they need. And I would disagree with you on that one. Um, I'm retired Air Force. I had the distinct displeasure of serving under both Bill Clinton and Obama. And during that whole time frame, they didn't have any trouble sending us out without the tools that we needed. So for them, you know, I, I think that for them to say, you know, hey, the, all the Border Patrol needs is the technology is just more of the same from them. Thank you for your service. I hear you and, and understand what you're saying. Uh, and you have a case that when our military asking for certain equipment, haven't necessarily received it. I don't think they would be willing to go out there and make the case against it publicly. But I hear you, and and I understand. Let's go to Robin in Nashville. Robin, go. Hi, how are you doing tonight? All good. Hey, all I'm asking is, can we just stop calling it abortion? It's not an abortion. If you look at the definition of abortion, it's to stop it from happening and once it's happened, it's no longer an abortion. So, Robin, I, I hear what you're saying, and here's what I'll tell you to do. I had, uh, if you're passionate about this subject, what happens is that we get very emotional about it, and people will go into their corners. Two sides of stories, one set of facts. I put together a story that is the scientific definition of life. So even for the people that you might know that uh, are hard in in, in Science and interpreting, uh, they're going to have a hard time arguing with this particular story. If you go to at Brian Mud Radio on Twitter, you'll be able to find it. And uh, I've got the story there. You can search for my story uh, about the science and the origin of life and uh, take it, read it, and share it. That story has the four different scientific definitions of life. And okay. what you're saying is absolutely correct that whether it is a, a baby or whether it is a plant, they all have to achieve four different definitions of life. And in the case of your passion here about this particular topic, well, it, it certainly you will find that uh, the fetus is going to achieve all four definitions of life. And what we're talking about specific to Virginia is that you're simply seeing the extent to which those particular politicians are willing to go to eliminate that life that's the real story that's the real conversation we're having and again the real scandal because that's what brought all the rest of this out if northam hadn't tried to make the case for a baby being born and then being able to be eliminated then you wouldn't have had the med school students bring out the incriminating pictures that northam then had to uh, apologize for and then say well it wasn't me but i did do a Michael Jackson thing in blackface. Uh, so that was, I guess, bad. And I'm sorry for that. And then you wouldn't have had the attorney general call out the governor and say that he should resign 
uh, knowing damn well that he had done a blackface thing, too, but he hadn't been outed. But then the same type of people that were concerned about all these individuals said, hold on, we got you in blackface, too. And then he had to apologize. And somewhere along the way, you wouldn't have had the sexual assault allegations uh, that would have been brought about for the lieutenant governor. Uh, somewhere along the way, in the, in the sense of morality, you know, I have the sense of justice. We're talking about justice. Is there real justice? You know, life has a way. Life has a way. Karma can be a you-know-what. And uh, something tells me that all these folks with some really warped sense of, of right and wrong and morality, um, they're all kind of getting theirs right now. But again, the reason that Virginia's the conversation it is and the reason that all three of those individuals have the problems they have right now, ultimately because of the moral outrage of some med school students. And that is why I put together the story uh, about the science, the science of life. It's beyond dispute. Unless someone wants to be a science denier, you cannot deny that there would be an elimination of life taking place with the abortion at that level. Uh, let's go to Sean in Maryland. Sean, go. Hey, Brian, thanks for taking my call. What a great subject. You know, I, I, my gut feeling is with New York and Virginia, some of these other states really getting out on the forefront and trying to liberalize these laws. Is there? I think they know that uh, Ginsburg's time is just about up, and they're trying to get in front of what's going to get thrown back to them when they overturn Roe versus Wade and throw it back to the states. Any any person with a thinking mind, and I'm so glad you broke it down to what is actually life, knows that life begins at conception. Planned Parenthood and, and those that were pro-choice used to come out and say it wasn't life. They finally had to correct themselves because it was maddening to anybody that this isn't life inside of somebody's body. Now they've gotten so emboldened they can say, well, you know what, we'll actually have the baby and then sedate it and kill it. God bless you, Sean. Appreciate you listening. Appreciate you calling. And again, my goal in, in bringing all this information out, not to preach, not to try to tell you what you necessarily should believe, but there are two sides to stories and one side to facts. And there is a scientific definition of life. All you need to do is take a look at it and then apply it to this particular subject. And you can do with it what you want. And I'm not going to be the person that is going to, to tell you what you have to think about it. But what I will tell you is that, well, you would be, ironically enough, a science denier if you tried to suggest that it isn't real. I am Brian Mudd, and for the great one. Mud Lovin. President seeks to expand government into the bodies of women. They seek to expand government to spontaneously generate detention centers all along our southern border. They seek to expand government in separating children from their parents. They seek to expand government in passing massive increases in, in military spending when we have no wars to fight or that we should be fighting. So this is not about who's expanding government. It's about who we're working for. And we're choosing to work for the people of the United States. Yeah, those people. Oh, yeah. Isn't it nice? Oh, it's so what? Uh, the, the dancing queen herself, AOC, and her great new deal. 
Uh, get ready for the political experts to get it all wrong again next year. Headline here from CNBC. It's already underway. A surge in Hispanic voters could have a major impact on Trump's political fate in 2020. It's an excerpt from their uh, story. Hispanic voters are projected to be the largest minority group in the electorate for the first time on record in 2020, according to a new report by the Pew Research Center. The Hispanic population is expected to account for 13% of all eligible voters, a slightly larger share than African Americans, and 9 percentage points greater than Asian Americans. Pew researchers said the historic shift, which is partially linked to an uptick in immigration and naturalization patterns, likely has political implications, as non-white voters are more likely to vote for Democratic candidates. Almost certainly, this is good news for Democratic candidates, said Alan Abramowitz, an Emory University political science professor who studies public opinion and election voting behavior. I don't see Trump saying or doing anything that's going to improve his showing among Hispanic voters. He seems to be trying to alienate them. You know, it's, it's hilarious, uh, this subject in particular. But because, it, and I'm always fascinated to see, like with this professor, it is really interesting how dumb many smart people turn out to be. You know, you, you don't become a political science professor at Emory by being an idiot, right? The guy's obviously intelligent, certain level now woefully misinformed but so this professor the latest example that you can be really smart really intelligent but you can still be a fool now on this particular topic i love talking about it and being in south florida i'm something of an expert on it hispanic means about 30 different things you'll hear people hispanic so anytime anytime you hear somebody say Hispanic is good for Democrats. That person without question is a fool because they don't get the entire picture. Now, Exhibit A, as I accurately made the case for last fall, happens to be my home state of Florida. Now, his Florida's Hispanic voting bloc is the largest, both in total number of people and as a percentage of our electorate we've ever had in this state. And yet, coming out of last year, we have a Republican governor and two Republican U.S. senators for the first time since 1868. Go riddle that one. And wait, there's even more. For example, at the top of the ticket, yes, our former Republican governor, Rick Scott, ended up flipping a Democratic Senate seat in Bill Nelson. But Ron DeSantis, a Republican governor, Won by even 30,000 more votes. And why? Because his opponent was a socialist. And guess who broke? Venezuelans. There are a lot of people that get it. And a lot of them are Hispanic. And they could actually make the difference for Donald Trump in 2020. Honor and a pleasure always is Brian Mudd. Enjoying being with you. Filling in for the great one, Mark Levin. Have a great one.